global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we want to surrender once again our preconceived notions and preferences and traditions to your throne, to your will. God, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and discernment as we consider how this area of music could have an impact in our lives for good or for evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is Todd Gardner, executive producer for the show. If you've been a regular listener to these broadcasts, then you already know that our host for these broadcasts has been traveling all over the United States this winter speaking. I'd like to ask you to pray for Scott. Pray for his physical strength and for his courage and for his health as he continues with his grueling schedule of sharing truth with people both face-to-face through the speaking engagements nationwide while maintaining his daily broadcasts. You've already heard Scott passionately speak about his Media on the Brain DVD series, educating people about how the entertainment industry, and even the excessive relationship with our cell phone, is reprogramming our brains in negative ways. Well, we're excited to bring you some excerpts from the Media on the Brain series in today's radio broadcast. And with that, we turn it over to Scott. Let's think together. Psychology Today published this statement. Musical rhythms affect both our hearts and our brains. One road to arousing a range of agitated feelings, tense, excited, sometimes sexual, is through pronounced and insistent rhythms artfully used to heighten the sexual tension. Drumming may produce these powerful effects by actually driving the brain's electrical rhythms. It's not just the scientists, the musicians actually acknowledge it too. B.B. King said the women reacted with their bodies flowing out of the rhythm coming out of my guitar. Jan Berry said the throbbing beat of rock provides a vital sexual release for adolescent audiences. Erwin Sibler said the greatest strength of rock and roll lies in its beat. It is a music which is basically sexual, unpuritan. Frank Zappa, a musician, just said rock music is sex. And rapper Luke Campbell of Two Live Crew says the sex is definitely in the music, and sex is in all aspects of the music. One scholar, a social critic, Alan Bloom, in his book The Closing of the American Mind, said TV, interestingly, compared to music, plays a comparatively small role in the formation of character and taste. Rock music has one appeal only, a barbaric appeal to sexual desire. Billy Joel, I really appreciate the candor of his statement and his honesty. Listen to what Billy Joel has to say after his decades in uh, popular music industry. Music is essentially the manipulation of sound. It has the power to arouse, it has the power to frighten, and has the power to make people profane. You know all those things they were saying about rock and roll in the early days? Ooh, it's going to subvert our youth. It's going to make them all want to have sex. It's going to make them all go crazy. They were right! Now, if he can admit that, certainly we can come to terms with this as Christians. This style of music has had a major effect on character. This style of music with the drumming used is releasing in the brain gonadotropins. 
sex hormones, enhancing sexual arousal, which most young people probably don't need more of in the context of life, or most of us don't need more of in a hypersexualized culture. Now, in addition to a sexual impulse that comes from the music, we also see actually a release of opioids, kind of like a, a little drug hit. And it's not just Joshua Leeds who says this. Musicians like Steven Tyler of Aerosmith says rock music is the strongest drug in the world. And Professor Timothy Leary, he said, don't listen to the words. It is the music that has its own message. I've been stoned on the music many times. Music actually has a drug-like effect to it, this style of music, that is. Psychiatrist Vero Bell, one of the most powerful releases of the fight-or-flight adrenaline high is music which is discordant in its beats or chords. Good music follows exact mathematical rules, which causes the mind to feel comforted, encouraged, and safe. Musicians have found that when they go against these rules, the listener experiences an addictive high. As in all addiction, victims become tolerant. The same music that once created a pleasant tingle of excitement no longer satisfies. The music must become more jarring, louder, and more discordant. And I can tell you a personal testimony on that, that when I was into music, we always had to get the volume up just a little bit more than we did last month, last year. We had to have the new CD, the latest sound, the more edgy sound by this band. Ooh, a new band. And it always had to be stimulating in some new way, louder, more fringe styles of music. And you go down this slippery slope, and I now know why I was in that trap, in that downward spiral. Because it literally was doing things in my brain. Addictive opioid releases. According to Dr. Pierce J. Howard, the same thing, he's, he's the director of the Center for Applied Cognitive Studies, and he stated that very loud music creates an altered state of consciousness akin to an alcoholic or drug-induced stupor that can become addictive. So we have this from many different sources, musicians, scientists. My own personal experience testifies to it as well. But it leads me to a question then. If this is what this style of music is doing to you physiologically, sexual release in stimulation, um, drug-like properties to it, opioid releases that are addictive, is it, is it possible that when you put Christian lyrics to the same style of music, the same effects will happen, happen to the mind, body, and character? Clearly, yes, because as we've talked about, it's not the lyrics that count. It's the music that is having these effects. So, within the contemporary Christian music scene, the big popular bands of America today, how are things going for them? I really, I pity these people because they're putting music into their minds and they're playing music loudly that's having a huge toll on their mind and character. What about the contemporary Christian music movement? Well, I'm going to cite a few different sources who are inside that movement, and they will tell us what's happening there. I don't want to engage in Christian gossip, but we do need to know what these folks are into who are such an influence in the lives of Christian youth all across America, the big popular musicians of Christian music. Here's what one musician, an insider, had to say. Crystal Meyer, after defending, in defending herself after being criticized, she wrote the following. How about the many huge Christian bands I have toured with that smoke pot? How about the hundreds of Christian bands I have been around that watch South Park and cuss like sailors? How about the Christian bands that look at pornography? Is that really what's happening in the Christian music movement with these big bands who are singing about love for God and devotion to Jesus? Are they actually doing this? Is she making this up? When I first heard this quote, I doubted it. I said, that can't be. 
Looking at pornography, committing adultery, smoking pot, cussing like sailors. These are the Christian leaders of America, of the world, in in the Christian culture, evangelical Christian culture. Well, after I heard from Tony Campolo, I concluded there must be something to this because he said something similar. He said, being in the back room with many of these famous groups before they go on stage is absolutely frightening. The ego trips they are on, the language they use, to hear their hate for others. When showtime comes, however, they go out on stage and, hey, aren't we together with Jesus Christ and the love we share, etc. He said the language they're using, the hate that they have for others, what are the moral lives really like behind the scenes, backstage? From insider sources, I'm hearing it's not holy. It's not a Christian environment. Christian contemporary music may not be what it seems on the surface. Now, I didn't present this to audiences, even two I believe the Bible says, let every testimony be established on the matter of two or three witnesses. On the testimony of two or three witnesses. So I wanted a third. I went to a friend of mine who was an insider in the Christian music movement. He was touring with the biggest bands of America. And I said, this is what Tony Campolo says about what's going on in there. This is what Crystal Myers says about what's going on in this movement. Please tell me this isn't true. And don't name any names, but I want to know, is this stuff actually happening? And he looked at me and he said, it's probably worse than you think. He said, it's just big business, Scott. We'd, we'd be given an envelope of cash in the morning and, and they'd say, go have a good time on the town and come back at three o'clock for sound check. And every manner of temptation would face these young 20-somethings performing this music before adoring fans by the millions. And he said, yeah, they'd be into drugs. You, yeah, everything Crystal Myers said is true. He said, me and my band tried to be faithful at least. We weren't going into everything that these other groups and singers were doing. But even we struggled. It's a hard environment. It was just big business. And my thought is this. When we subject ourselves to this form of music day in and day out, it's no surprise that these people are going to struggle. I'm not condemning them. I'm not putting myself above them. They're in a neurological state that's going to be very, very hard to live a moral life. And I feel for them. I want them to learn about the styles of music and what it's doing to them. But it's the, even the secular community, again, Slate Magazine, can observe the irony of this. Secularists observe the contradiction that is Christian pop or rock music. They said you, you shoehorn a message that is essentially about obeying authority, Christianity, into a music genre that's essentially rebellious and nihilistic, rock music. It's, it's not a match, right, as we talked about before. But moving on, it gets a lot more serious, actually, even than the neurological response that our bodies produce to the sounds of this music. We need to look at music and spiritualism. I want to start with a quote by a musician named William Ora. He stated the following, We had discovered something that people knew eons ago, that, and here's an important word, polyrhythms can be used for hypnotic induction, for altered states of consciousness, even for soul travel. So he's saying this basically what we would call spiritualism, hypnotic trances, you know, out-of-body experiences. These things can be induced by what he calls polyrhythms. And he says they knew this eons ago. For thousands of years in pagan cultures around the world, people have been engaged in forms of worship that, is, that are highly rhythmic. But not just rhythmic, poly, that means many rhythms. 
Most famously, this takes place in the voodoo culture. Richard Hodges explains, the intricate layers of the multiple rhythmic drumming are considered the primary source of occult power to the voodoo practitioner. Multiple rhythmic drumming. Thinking about how that occurs in our popular music uh, genres of today. Is it multiple rhythmic or is it simple rhythm? Uh, Is rhythm bad? Um, Frank Garlock, a musician and musical scholar, explains that musical styles all need to have some form of rhythm in them. Otherwise, the music falls apart. There's no shape to it. There's no structure to it. But when you, come, when you look at orchestral music and you look at more classical styles of music, about 1% to 2% of the music is rhythm. About 1% to 2%, he says. It's kind of like having a little salt on your food. But when it comes to the popular music of our day, Frank Garlock explains it's 75% rhythm. Think about the instruments of a rock and roll band. You've got, of course, your drum, your drummer. Now, is it just a simple drum, or are we looking at a polyrhythmic thing? When you have the drum set, it's automatically polyrhythmic because you're hitting the hi-hat with one foot, the bass drum with another foot. You've got one hand riding the high, hitting the cymbals like this, right on the toms, you're on the snare drum. It's a polyrhythmic instrument. But not just the drummer with the drum set. We're also looking at a rhythm guitar. So this is exactly what they did in the voodoo community. Uh, even the lyric, even the singer, even the pianist can put another layer of rhythm on top of that. You'll hear a lot, a lot of the popular songs of today sometimes have a clap on top of it all. So you've got the drum, rhythm, uh, the, the, the rhythm guitar, a clap on top of it. They're making it highly polyrhythmic. So whenever you hear a drum set, you know you're listening to something polyrhythmic. And what did we just hear from William Mora about polyrhythms? Hypnotic induction. Let's talk more about voodoo. The follower of voodoo is actually seeking to incorporate a god into himself by writhing and leaping through a dance while drums bang out what kind of rhythms? Complex rhythms. So again, we're looking at not rhythm or a drum being bad, but is it a polyrhythmic layered or complex rhythmic structure that's being used? That's what causes the spiritualist experience in the voodoo worship ceremony. Now, it's not just uh, the, the voodoo people themselves. The rock musicians actually talk about how this is a voodoo-style rhythm. Listen to Little Richard. I believe this kind of music is demonic. A lot of the beats in music today are taken from voodoo, from the voodoo drums. If you study music and rhythms like I have, you'll see that this is true. So don't take my word for it. And also, John Lennon, he said, speaking of rock music, he says it is primitive enough and has no bull, really the best stuff, and it gets through to you by its beat. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. Did you know that heavily rhythmic music, which is basically all popular music today, can actually alter your state of consciousness? Musician William Ora explains, quote, We had discovered something that people knew eons ago, that polyrhythms can be used for hypnotic induction, for altered states of consciousness, even for soul travel. And drummer and percussion scholar Mickey Hart agrees. Everywhere you look around the world, he says, people are using drums to alter consciousness. I have discovered, along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion, to influence the human mind and body. And Jimi Hendrix said, We make our music so loose and hard-hitting 
that it hits your soul hard enough to make it open. Get informed, folks. Truth is stranger than fiction. Google the words media on the brain to learn more. The three biggest events in the history of redemption. One, the Exodus experience. Two, the first coming of Christ. And three, the soon second coming of Christ. Well, what do all three of these have in common? Pharaoh, throw all the baby boys in the Nile. Herod, kill the babies in and around Bethlehem. Well, what about today as we anticipate the second coming? The attack is on once again, not only through the annihilation of 50 million aborted babies, but the media and the schools are targeting our kids. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, Parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men You know, in the old voodoo ceremony or pagan cultures around the world, this isn't just one culture, don't make this a racial thing, but they would have the whole village out there, they would have a bunch of different people with shakers, one guy on this bongo drum, another guy on that one, and they would be able to produce polyrhythms. Today we can do it with just four guys in a band, or just they do it electronically now, obviously, with synthesized types of, of, of percussion. But I want to look now at one of the most famous drummers of all time. His name is Mickey Hart. He was the drummer for The Grateful Dead. Here's what he had to say. Everywhere you look around the world, so again, this is not just one culture. Everywhere you look around the world, people are using drums to alter consciousness. I have discovered, along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion, to influence the human mind and body. So he said, everywhere in the world, people are using percussion to alter consciousness. And we're talking again about polyrhythmic elements in the music. The Doors actually talked about this experience like a Siberian shaman gets ready to go into his trance. All the villagers get together and play whatever instruments they have to send him off, meaning into a trance or into this possession experience. It was the same way with The Doors when we played in concert. I think that our drug experience let us get into it quicker, it meaning the trance state. It was like Jim Morrison was an electric shaman, and we were the electric shaman's band, pounding away behind him. Notice pounding, this is a rhythmic word. Sometimes he wouldn't feel like getting into the state, but the band would keep on pounding and pounding, and little by little it would take over him. I could send an electric shock through him with the organ. John could do it with his drum beats. You notice with the organ, even an organ can be played rhythmically and they get into the state with the polyrhythmic style of popular music that has so saturated our music industry of today. Jimi Hendrix put it this way, there is a sound vibration, a resonance that rearranges our molecular structure to the point where your hair stands up, you feel like doing inappropriate things. It's a whole other kind of spirit, he said. We've made our music into electric church music, a new kind of Bible. A Bible you carry in your hearts. One that will give you a physical feeling. Listen to this. 
We try to make our music so loose and hard-hitting so that it hits your soul hard enough to make it open. We want them to realize that our music is just as spiritual as going to church. Very serious warning from insiders saying, this is what we're doing. We're making our music hard-hitting so it opens your soul. It's a spiritual experience like going to church. And of course, Timothy Leary said, the music is designed to blow your mind and suspend your conditioned reflexes. Listening to a Beatles album is an hour of deconditioning. It's trying to get you into an altered state of consciousness. Dr. Michael Ballum, a musicologist, explains it this way. The human mind shuts down after three or four repetitions of a rhythm or a melody or a harmonic progression. If you've ever noticed, a lot of the music these days is highly repetitive. Even in Christian circles, our worship songs, if you're having a mantra, saying a line over and over again, and that highly repetitive thing, according to musicologists, shuts down the human mind. Now, do you know what the word music means? Muse. Where, is that, where does that word come from? What does muse mean? It means to think. So if we're engaged in some sort of musical style that is shutting down our thinking, this is no longer music. Unless it's promoting thought, unless it's stimulating frontal lobe activity, it is not music. It's something else. It's spiritualism. In fact, we read here from Juanita McElwin, a, a musicologist, that rock-style music bypasses the frontal lobe and our ability to reason and make judgments about it. This music, like television, can produce a hypnotic effect. We have Jimi Hendrix admitting music is a spiritual thing of its own. You can hypnotize people with the music and get them at their weakest point. You can preach into the subconscious what you want to say. Very serious warnings. This music is highly hypnotic. And this is why a rock historian has said it this way, I believe in the transformative power of rock and roll. This transformative power in here is not so much in the words of song, the songs, or in the stances of the stars, but in the music itself, in the sound, and above all, in the beat. And so now I have a question again about using Christian music. What happens when you take music that bypasses the frontal lobe, hypnotizes, opens the door to spiritualism, alters states of consciousness, causes you to release control of your thoughts, enhances gonadotropins or sex hormones, and releases addictive opioids in the brain? What happens when you take music that does all of these things and you sing Christian lyrics to it? Answer? This Christian music will bypass the frontal lobe, hypnotize the listener, open the door to spiritualism, alter states of consciousness, cause you to release control of your thoughts, enhance sex hormones, and release opioids. And as I think about the styles of music we're using in the churches today, and not just in the worship setting, but on the radio stations and on our playlists on iTunes and on our CDs, I think about the study that was done by Dr. Newberg about how religious things affect the brain, and he stated that his studies have shown that a charismatic worship style turns off prefrontal cortex function in the worshiper. That is a very serious scientific reality. When you're engaged in this kind of ecstatic, emotional worship, the area where you reason, where you have sound judgment, spirituality, morality, the will, all of that, prefrontal, it's turned off. Could we even call it worship anymore at that point? And by the way, I should mention, this is not to say that our worship should be dry and unemotional. We should worship in spirit and in truth. The spirit is that feeling component. The truth is that frontal lobe function. But if we're just so diving into the emotional ecstasy of it, we lose the frontal lobe aspect, and we are now in a situation where we are only worshiping without the truth, only in the feeling. 
That's a dangerous thought. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says that we should sing with our spirit and our understanding. We should pray with our spirit and our understanding. He says those two over and over again, back to back, just like that. The truths and the spiritual fervor. Moving on. The same effect happens regardless of lyrics. According to Daniel and Bernadette Skubik, Neuropsychology of Rock, we read, The lyrics are of minor importance here. Whether the words are evil, innocuous, or based in the Holy Scripture, the overall neurophysiological effects generated by rock music remain the same. We should expect that abilities to receive and deliver the gospel, to pray discursively, and to study the Scripture are compromised by rock music. Indeed. Now, I I like to go back to Christians of old. Let's go back more than a hundred years. Was some of this going on already before the rock and roll movement? In the 19th century, some Christians observed in an Indiana camp meeting worship scene the following, what was called a bedlam of noise that shocks the senses. They weren't necessarily using the contemporary songs we have today. They were using music back then, but they were playing it in a way that was a bedlam of noise that shocked the senses. And then one Christian writer predicts that, in in this context, that there will be, just before Christ's coming, there will be shouting with drums, music, and dancing. The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make right decisions. And this is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. Satan will make music snare by the way in which it is conducted. Very serious warning. They knew somehow that in the last days, before Jesus' coming, Satan would use music in a way to make it a snare for us. Not the lyrics, the way in which it is conducted. That there would be drums, dancing, shouting, and that people's senses would be lost. This was predicted over a hundred years ago, and we're seeing the fulfillment of it right now. But I want to close today with a few minutes of thinking about the question in the subtitle of this presentation. Musical manipulation, how Satan will use music to deceive the last day masses. I have a question about the last day's prophecies of Revelation 12 and 13. Do you know what the counterfeit trinity is? The three powers of the devil that bring in this last day's deception and movement. They are the dragon, the beast, and the second beast. Now, what do these three represent? I can't give you a Bible prophecy lecture right now, but simply put, that is the devil religious power and political power in the last days. And these form a threefold union to join together and push forward the last day deception. And it says the whole world followed the beast. So the entire world nearly, except the narrow road of those following the Lamb, are going to be on board with this counterfeit trinity. Now I have another question. What were the three biggest media funeral events in human history? You might say, that seems like a random question. Well, if we can identify the three biggest media funeral events, we know that those are three pretty important institutions, people, powers that those funerals represent. Top three, Michael Jackson, Pope John Paul II, and Ronald Reagan. Notice the threefold union is represented in these three. The dragon, spiritualism, Michael Jackson, I have a moving wall with mirrors, the king of pop, the king of the spiritualist music industry that is crowley into the core, Michael Jackson, the top funeral of all, the dragon. I'm not saying Michael Jackson is the dragon, please understand, he is a representative of the spiritualist movement. Second, Pope John Paul II, second biggest funeral in human history, religious power. Third biggest funeral in human history, Ronald Reagan, political power. 
We have the threefold union, these three powers that have grown up to prominence in the 20th century and in the 21st century to the point where we are ready now for the last and final swift movements of human history upon planet Earth, the final scenes of Revelation to be fulfilled. I told you we'd talk about you too in part four. This is Bono. He's using eye symbolism, demonic symbolism, devil horns, etc. And Bono is probably the most political and influential person in the music industry. Also very much into these demonic things. Let's look at Daniel as we think about this issue of how the last days will play out. Daniel 3 verses 5 to 6. We read about a false worship system in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon. Here's what it says in Daniel 3. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. You've seen the, the, the childhood stories, the three worthies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down. They stood strong for the Lord in the ancient kingdom of Babylon. But there's a new kingdom of Babylon. In Revelation 17, it describes her as a harlot who rides the beast. And this kingdom is not an actual nation. It's not a resurgence of Nebuchadnezzar's government. But what this is, is a religious power. This is a movement, an institution in the last days. And she is also called Babylon. So when we hear Babylon in Revelation 17, we should hearken back to Babylon of Daniel 3. Babylon of Daniel 3, there was an image, and they had to bow down before that image. There was a worship system, a false worship system. And if you didn't abide by that false worship system, there was a death decree imposed upon those who refused to worship. And of course, God saved the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But this is Daniel 3. Now let's compare it with Revelation 13, 14, and 17. We see the phrase Babylon return. Again, not the government, but a system called Babylon. So it's supposed to make us think of Daniel 3. Again, we hear about an image that is made to the beast. This is another movement, another system where people are inducted into a false worship system, where people are given a death decree if they do not participate in the false worship system. You can read all about this in Revelation 13 and 14. 